Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. James chapter 1 is where we are. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. Up until these verses, James has been talking about tests and trials. Those can lead us closer to God, and we trust Him more. He talked about temptations and how they lead us away from God. He's talked to us about all good things have come, all the good in your life has come from God, that He is the giver of all good and perfect things. And then in verse 19, he says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I don't know if it's just me, but it's gotten more and more ridiculous, the instructions that are on items that we buy. Have we become so dumb that we just don't know anything anymore? Here are some actual instructions. I didn't make these up. On a Sears hairdryer, do not use while sleeping. Fritos corn chips, you could be a winner. No purchase necessary, details inside. <laughs> Dial soap, directions, use like regular soap. <laughs> Tesco's tiramisu dessert is printed on the bottom. Do not turn upside down. <laughs> on Marks and Spencer's bread pudding, product will be hot after heating. Rowenta iron. Do not iron clothes on body. <laughs> Nitol, sleep aid, warning, may cause drowsiness. <laughs> on most Christmas lights, for indoor or outdoor use only. <laughs> Superman costume. Wearing of this garment does not enable you to fly. <laughs> A Swedish chainsaw, do not attempt to stop chain with your hands. Really? If you want instructions for life, you ask children. Some of these you've heard, some of you maybe not. Never trust a dog to watch your food, Patrick, age 10. When you want something expensive, ask your grandparents, Matthew, age 12. Never smart off to a teacher whose eyes and ears are twitching. <laughs> Andrew, age nine. Sleep in your clothes so you'll be dressed in the morning. Stephanie, age eight. Never try to hide a piece of broccoli in a glass of milk. Rosemary, age seven. <laughs> now, I like this one. Don't ever be too full for dessert. Kelly, age 10. She must have been a Baptist. <laughs> when your dad is mad at you and asks you, do I look stupid, do not answer him. Michael, age 14, or Heather, age 16. Never tell your mom her diet's not working, Michael, age 14. 
When you get a bad grade in school, show it to your mom when she's on the phone. <laughs> Never spit while on a roller coaster. Scott, age 11. Beware of cafeteria food when it looks like it's moving. <laughs> Rob, age 10. Molly, age 11. This one's good. You're never too old to hold your father's hand. And finally, listen to your brain. It's got lots of information. Chelsea, age 7. Listen to your brain, but you need to listen to some other things too. If you're going to make it through life, especially when you're going through trials and tests, the qualities you need to help you make it through to help know what direction to go to, that's what he's saying here. You need to listen to the Lord. So the first thing we're going to talk about is the reception, the receiving of God's Word, planting the Word. Look, he says, be swift to hear. Slow to speak, slow to wrath, and in verse 21, receive with meekness the implanted word. We live in an information age. We're just inundated with information, and it's an explosion. In fact, that I read recently that there will be 100 billion emails each day. 100 billion every day, or excuse me, every year there are six trillion text messages. Each day, 5,000 new books are printed. Stephen Davey said, if you happen to read the New York Times newspaper for one week, you will be exposed to more information than the average person living in the 1800s came across in their entire lifetime. We're easily distracted. Some of you are already distracted, and I hadn't even gotten going good. <laughs> we look without seeing. We listen without hearing. We speak without understanding. We're wired up, tuned in, hyper-caffeinated generation. James says in verse 19, so then, actually, the word is know this, understand this. It's, a, it's an imperative. Some translate it, therefore, or that I think they miss it or take note of this. But verses 19 and 20 through 21 are parallel structure to verses 16 through 18. And James begins with an imperative followed by an admonition. And here he begins with an imperative. He says, know something. I want you to know something. If you're going to make it through tests and trials and temptations, know this, understand this. In our response, first, it should be our first response. When something happens to us or we're going through a difficult time or even if we're not going through a difficult time or a temptation, our first response should be, what does God have to say? What does the Word of God, what does the Bible have to say? He's not talking about physically hearing, be swift to hear. He's talking about hearing spiritually. And in this reception, several characteristics of receiving God's Word. First is a readiness. I want to hear it. I'm ready to hear it. Swift. Be swift to hear. Tachos. We get a word tachometer. Most of you have a tachometer in your car. You know what the speedometer is, but that other little needle that's moving back and forth when you're pressing the accelerator, that's a tachometer. It's showing how fast your engine is turning per minute, the revolutions per minute in your motor, RPMs. 
That's a tachometer. It measures speed. James is saying, be speedy. Listen to the word of God. You want to hear it. You're going to pay close attention to it. If you went undergoing some tests in, in med, medical uh, field or you had a biopsy or something like that, and all of a sudden the, the doctor or the radiologist or whoever's doing the test comes into the room, you sit on the edge of your seat because you're ready to hear what they're about to tell you is wrong with you. That's what this means. I want to know what you say, God. I'm anxious to understand what you have for me. I want to live this way. Now, when you go into a life group, and I hope that you have a life group because in a church our size, if you're not in a smaller group, you're not ever really going to get to know anybody, and they're the ones that take care of you and love you and minister to you and are there by your side. But when you go into this life group, are you anxious to hear? When I walked up here to preach, were you anxious to hear? Or you're thinking, 30 minutes, we're out of here. 35. Okay, 40. All right. (laughs) Our first response should be, God, what do you say? And, And it's written in continuous action. It should be a lifestyle. I want to hear what you're saying to me, God. I want to know. What do I do? How do I handle this? I read of a pastor who was visiting one of his members and the lady of the house was trying to impress him about how devout she was by pointing out the Bible on the shelf over there and talking in reverential terms and so about it being the word of God and her young son interrupted and said, well, if that's God's book, we better send it back to him because we don't ever read it. I love what... Susan Wright of DeBerry, Florida said, while sitting next to my first grade daughter during our morning worship service, one Sunday I noticed her look down at my open Bible. And in a low whisper, she said, did God really write that? And I said, yes, quietly. She said, look back down, and she looked up in amazement. She said, wow, he's got really neat handwriting. (laughs) He didn't quite write it this way. Inspired every word of it. They asked the president of the American Bible Society, what can you use to keep the leather on your Bible soft? He said, the best substance you can use is the oil that comes off of your hand. There's no other oil like that. And I want you to know that usually a Bible that is falling apart belongs to somebody who isn't falling apart. It really doesn't take that long to read through the Bible. Did you know if you read through Genesis, from Genesis to Revelation at pulpit speed, which means slow enough to be heard and understood, that the reading time would be 71 hours. That would be like me reading just a moment ago to you. But if you divide that by, or break it down into minutes and divide it by 365 days, it only takes you 12 minutes a day to read from Genesis to Revelation, 365 days. Jesus said in John 10, verse 4, and when he brings out his sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. I want to hear. I'm ready. You ladies have an unbelievable 
sense about you. When, a, when you have a baby and you have that baby and that baby may be in the next room in a crib and it can whimper or sneeze, you come out of a deep sleep. Now, your husband, on the other hand, he ain't got a clue. So you have to wake him up. You're tuned to hear that. I had a dear friend in college and he just started calling me cuz, short for cousin. I'm not his cousin, but he called me cuz. We call each other cuz. And the thing about it, you'd be in a big, large room of people, and it's all going on. And I could hear that word cuz, just like that. My brother and I still pick it up a little bit, even though we're brothers. We still pick it up from the days gone by when we were friends in college, and you're tuned to it. If you've ever seen a policeman that has one of those microphones with the the cord on it. It's got a speaker. There's all kinds of transmissions going across that radio, and they may be carrying on a conversation with you, and then all of a sudden break off because they either heard what they needed to hear, their number, or they heard something else because they're tuned to it. That is the picture here. It's the picture of, I'm tuned to what you want, God. I'm listening to you. I want to know what you have to say. Wouldn't it be wonderful if somebody would invent a piece of equipment that could give people a diagnostic test to see how well they hear the Word of God? We're ready for it. But there's also a restraint when we're ready for the Word of God. You see, it says slow to speak. God gave you two ears. You can't close those. He gave you one mouth. You can close it. Most people speak more than they hear. And most of us are poor listeners. Ecclesiastes 5.2 says, Do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. And he also says, Not only be slow to speak, but slow to wrath. There's two words for wrath in the New Testament. One of us is thumos, which means an explosion. When you just let her fly. You have a thumos moment when you're driving in Lubbock, Texas. It doesn't mean you do anything, but you, you just have one of those. This word means an underlying, seething, simmering anger. Orge, O-R-G-E, is the word here. And now, if you think about it, anger keeps you from listening. And when you go through a trial or a test or a difficult time in your life, who do a lot of people get angry with? God. Why does God get blamed for all the bad stuff? All the good stuff comes from him. But mankind has a tendency to get angry with God, and they speak to God. Or they quit listening to God. You see, when you want to be in tune with the Lord, and, and, and have you ever been reading the Word of God, and man, it just slaps you across the face. I mean, it's, it shows you what you're doing, and you don't need to do it, and it, you get angry about it. 
Or you hear a sermon and the preacher preaches out of the Word of God and you get mad at him. Really, truly, you're mad at God, not me. Now, I do say stupid things from time to time. And I try to apologize when I do, if I know about them. You ever heard that term, don't let them get your goat? Where'd that come from? Michael Guido said the expression came from racetrack of yesteryears a long time ago that they would stable a goat with their racehorse because its presence would keep the horse calm. And if someone got the goat before the race, they believed the horse would lose its poise and blow the race. And when you allow someone who annoys you to shake you out of control, you let them get your goat. Well, God has a promise for us in Isaiah 26.3 when he says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. You've got to be under the control of God's peace. But I want you to notice the progression here. If we are quick to hear, we will be slow to speak. But if we're slow to hear, we will doubtless be quick to speak. Quick speaking leads to quick anger. The angrier we get, the faster we speak and the less we hear. Receiving God's word should be our first response. When I'm going through something, good or bad or in between, God, what do you want me to do? I'm listening for you. I need a word from you. I'm ready. It should be our first response. But then, and I've already alluded to this, it should be favorably received. And you can receive God's word several ways. First is willingly receive means to welcome something, and it's a reception word. In fact, I like what Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. He said, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe Willingly receive it. Do you ever read God's word? Do you ever want to know what he has to say? In, in the book Virtual America, George Barna said nine out of 10 homes, 92% contain at least one Bible. The average number of Bibles is three. Less than two out of five. Only 37% had read from the Bible during the week they did this survey. People over 50 were the most likely to read the Bible. The youngest adults were the least likely, and the boomers fell in between. The lower the household income, the more likely the person was to read the Bible. Southern residents were considerably more likely to read the Bible than other parts of the country. Women were more avid readers of Scripture than were men. African-American adults were more likely to read the Word than were people from any other ethnic group. Protestants were twice as likely as those aligned with the Catholic Church. Just four out of every 10, 40%, contend that the Bible is accurate in all that it teaches. Willingly, I willingly Receive it. I receive it. I welcome it. The, the next way to receive the Word of God is willfully. Meekness. Teachable. 
I willingly receive it, but I willfully apply it to my life. I will on purpose have a teachable spirit. You don't ever get to the age where you quit learning. Howard Hendricks, who was a Bible scholar for many years, talked about when he was a college student. He said, I worked in the college dining hall, and on my way to work at 5.30 every morning, I walked past the home of one of my professors. And through a window, I could see the light on at his desk morning after morning. At night, I stayed late at the library to take advantage of evening study hours And returning home at 10.30 or 11 o'clock, I would again see his desk light on, and he was poring over his books. One day, he invited me home for lunch, and after the meal, I asked him, would you mind if I ask you a question? Of course not, he said. What keeps you studying? You never seem to stop. His answer, son, I would rather have my students drink from a running stream than a stagnant pool. Just because you get familiar with God's Word doesn't mean you quit reading it. A lot of us have been Christians a long time, but there's always something new in God's Word for us. A third way of receiving the Word is wholeheartedly implanted. In the implanted Word in verse 21, it means rooted, that the Word which roots itself inside. Not just hearing it, not just reading it, but planting it. Gary Oliver, who was the director of Southwest Counseling Associates in Denver, said in Men of Integrity, if a farmer doesn't plant seeds, he'll never harvest a crop. doesn't matter how weed-free his ground is, he must also plant and cultivate good seed. In the same way, we can only reap a harvest of purity and integrity by planting the good seed of God's Word into our lives. I'm not talking about just reading it. I'm talking about allowing the Holy Spirit to plant the truths of Scripture into our hearts and minds through consistent Bible teaching, reading, and memorization, meditation, and prayer. You've got to receive the Word of God. We not only receive God's Word but we got to take some stuff out. The removal of man's wickedness, pull the weeds. (laughs) Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. You remember in the parable of the sower, Jesus talked about the different kinds of soils that the seed fell upon. The seed was the word of God. One of them was thorny ground. It had the possibility of a good harvest, and it sprang up quickly, but the weeds choked it out. To get rid of the filthiness, the first thing you've got to do is identify the sin. Call it what it is. Don't candy coat it. (laughs) Don't blame it on somebody else. Before planting takes place, the soil has to be prepared. There has to be some house house cleaning. Remove it. Lay aside. The word for filthiness is a medical term that means too much wax in the ear. If you get too much wax built up in your ear, it hinders you hearing, doesn't it? 
And the word filthiness also means to, it's a moral filthiness and defilement. It's the filth in our lives that keeps us from following God. And the word overflow in the New King James or superfluity in the King James Version, the overflow of wickedness, that, that, the, that word overflow or superfluity, if you want to call it out of the King James, is also the same word used in Mark 8, 8, where it says they gathered up all the extra baskets after feeding the 5,000. Identify it. What's, what's in your life? What's going on in your life right now keeping you from listening to God? The second thing is to eliminate it. Lay aside. It means to strip it off. Take it away. And here's the thing. It's an Irish middle voice, which means that you do this yourself. It's not the preacher's job to take away your sin or stop it. In fact, if you want me to paraphrase James in saying this, you not only identify the sin, but you lay it aside, you stop it. This word lay aside is also an interesting word because it's used... Have you ever seen a snake skin when the snake sheds its skin? It's always real comforting when I go down to the deer lease and I open up a container that's got stuff in it, and I don't see the snake, but I see the skin. I'm thinking, man, I hope he's not in here anymore. To lay it aside, to take it off, to strip it off. And the overflow of wickedness speaks of wickedness that flows over onto other people. Rarely does your sin just affect you. It, it affects other people too. And Hebrews 12.1 tells us to lay aside all of our sin and run the race that is laid before us. Our hearts should have the characteristic to lay it aside. There was a man who, was, who took the pastor through a coal mine. And as they were entering this long, dark passageway, he noticed a beautiful white flower right on the edge of this coal mine. And he said, how does that flower stay so white in all of this dark dirt and dust from the coal? And the man said, pick up some of it and throw it on that flower. And he picked up a handful of dirt and dust from the coal mine and threw it on the flower. And when it did, it just fell off of it like duck off a... I mean, duck, water off a duck's back. Duck, duck off a water's back. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> he said, how, what's, what's this flower have on it? And he said, it's just the natural, smooth part of this petal that the, the grim and the, the, the grime and the grit won't adhere to it. Well, our hearts should be that way we want the Lord's full blessing. We keep in his word, and this other stuff slides right off of us. We're not tempted that way anymore. The temptation may be there, but you don't succumb to that temptation. You receive it. You welcome it. Let's look at the results. What happens? You're maturing in your walk. Perfecting the walk doesn't mean you're without sin. It doesn't mean that you 
no longer struggle. It means that you're maturing in the walk, and several things happen. It says, when, which is able to save your souls. One of the things that's going to be in your life is the holiness of God. You're not God, and you never will be, but there's a difference in you because His Spirit lives in you, and when you walk in His ways, you want to walk in holiness. Most people think holiness is walking around with a grim face and not ever having any fun and not ever enjoying life and just being all legalistic. That's not holiness. Holiness means to be set apart. You're set apart by God. He sanctified you. You are different, different in not trying to be, but in this world of darkness, you stand out as a light in the world. You are the salt of the earth. You won't participate in the world's ways as far as headed down the wrong path. Listen, there's enough in this world to enjoy without having to do it the way the world wants you to do it. Holiness. It's not just putting on a show. Sometimes people put on the semblance of holiness by using different terms. I've told you this before. It's one of my favorite stories about the little boy who'd been playing down at the creek all day. He came back in and he was muddy from head to toe, dirty, but he's holding the biggest dead rat you've ever seen. Got him by the tail. He comes walking in the room. He is so excited. Look, Dad, I picked up a big rock. I smashed him. He's, there's blood everywhere. And then he noticed they had a guest in the room. It was the pastor. And then he said, and then he went to be with the Lord. <laughs> you don't have to put on that semblance of holiness. The second thing is the righteousness of God or godliness. If you have the Spirit of God in you, there's going to be God characteristics in your life. They begin to show up the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience. That stuff begins to come out in you, not because you're religious, but because the Holy Spirit lives in you. When you ask God to forgive you of your sin and you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ because he died on the cross for your sin. He rose again. You make him the Lord of your life. God gives you his spirit. The triune God, we don't believe in three gods, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all one. But the Holy Spirit lives in us. And the Holy Spirit begins to direct us and to mature us and to grow us if you have the Holy Spirit without the Word of God, you just have emotions and you blow up. If you have the Word without the Spirit, you dry up. But if you have both the Word and the Spirit, you grow up. You grow in the Lord. The last thing is righteousness. And you know what? You want the garment of righteousness. It never goes out of style. When you were saved, God immersed you with the righteousness of Jesus. You have been forgiven of your sin. You have been made clean. God looks at you as if you had never sinned. Not because of your own righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Jesus. And that's what it means in verse 22, that all of this is able to save your souls. Just reading the Word doesn't save you. Just, just heeding the Word doesn't save you. 
But everything that we know about salvation came from here. Y'all do know that. We didn't invent it. It came from God's word. Everything we know about God came from here. And so when we follow God's way, we ask God to forgive us. We place our faith in Jesus Christ. He comes in to save us. And God's word and, and his spirit produces a changed life. We're not just hearing it. We're actually doing that. And if you don't know Jesus today, you can know him today. You don't just hear, hear what I say, but you do what the Word of God says. You'll come to know him as your Savior. What's my first response through life? I want to do your will, Lord. I want to hear your Word. And I willfully receive it. I want to put it, it, to put it, in, to put it in practice in my life. You can, have, you can know Jesus today as your Savior. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray for those today who need Jesus. Like we've sung about all morning, like we've read about, like we've remembered through communion, Jesus, only Jesus changes our life. And I pray for those that need, need Christ today. I pray for those that need a church. If this is the place you want them to come, then you come. Let them come. And Lord, I, I lift up those who may be struggling right now with some trials and temptations. Help us to hear what you have to say during that time. Help us to willingly receive what you have to say. I pray you'll encourage them. Lord, there may be some who need to be baptized, like the one in the 8 o'clock and those in the 11 o'clock that will be baptized today. To unashamedly profess you as their Savior and Lord. I know, Lord, before people came in here that the invitation began in their heart. I pray they've been listening for a while and that they would respond to you. So, Lord, during this time, I, we ask that no distractions would keep people from hearing what you're saying to them even now in their heart. You're speaking, you're speaking to them directly. And I pray they would respond to you. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message.